another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times, the things that we can do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Dictated is is almost always the case. Uh, During my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, from my personal mobile studio, which is my 2006 Jetta Diesel TDI, this should be episode 141. Today is February the 13th. Friday the 13th, 2009. Now, you know what makes this Friday an unlucky day for some people? Because you're a man, and you're an idiot, and you haven't done anything for your woman for Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow, when if you were smart, you would have done it today. Now, you tune in and you listen to Jack for survival advice. I give you some relationship survival advice right now, guys. Even if your woman tells you, Valentine's Day doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I know that you love me. Get off your butt and do something, because if you don't, you're going to be miserable, and your survival, while not in maybe being threatened as a whole, will not be as comfortable, and you won't be living the better life. So there's public service announcement of the day. I did have a question come in last night. I'm going to go ahead and just answer this on the air. I was asked, I would like to know what, you know, what is the full output of your uh, personal mobile studio what what do you have other than the car that you broadcast from it's not real sophisticated folks i use a little sony uh mp3 digital voice recorder it is an icd p620 that is uh india charlie delta papa 620 is the model number on it uh they sell for about 40 bucks i have a fairly old plantronics headset uh, two uh, two modular plugs. One it's designed to plug into a computer. One is a mic. One is a listening device. I just plug the mic side into the mic side of my recorder, and uh, once I do that, I uh, hit record and start recording. That is it. Um, I then use a program called Sony Vegas to do my editing, which is usually unless Jack snaps out and says the f word, unless it goes that far, then it usually is just splicing in um, the music to the front and the back side and generating it out as a uh, FM quality, uh, radio stereo quality MP3. That's that's it. And uh, to tell you the truth, guys, uh, Sony Vegas is overkill as an editor, but I have it for video editing, so that's what I use. If you want to do your own podcast and you don't want to do it from a car, there's a program called Audacity. You can record straight to your computer. Uh, I use that when I get to record from the house. The audio quality is actually much better than uh, my mobile device, so don't think I'm running around with a radio studio here, folks. It's a it's very, very simple setup. And with that simple setup, I'm able to bring you this show that talks about everything from politics and economics to uh, practical preparation. And uh, people say, how do you do it? And I don't know. I just do it. And sometimes I think I come up with really good kick-ass shows. And sometimes I think I come up with shows where I'm not on the top of my game. And I actually want you guys to know when I do that, I feel bad about it. But you know what? I'm doing the best I can do while I'm mobile. And I am making some adjustments right now to be able to do a few more shows maybe uh, here and there without being on the road when I do them and setting up things like interviews with experts in specific uh, technologies or aspects of survivalism. Uh, I'm 
going to see if my son is interested in maybe working with me sort of as my intern uh, when he gets some time freed up as he finishes his semester of school uh, that he's wrapping up right now, and maybe that'll help. So I'm going to try to do more for you, but for now, this is what we got. We're going to keep rolling with it like we've done for over 140 episodes, and you guys have helped me grow to over 3,000 listeners strong since late June of 2008. Here we are in February, 3,000 people a day downloading the show, sharing it with others, so thank you for that. Today what we're going to talk about is some of my biggest fears for what might happen in 2009. Uh, Some worst case scenarios. And two of them uh, come from a guy named Gerald Salenti. Now if you've listened to the show for a while, you remember somewhere back around episode 100, somewhere in that range, I did a show where a listener took some Gerald Salenti footage, and he's a futurist, and he's been dead on about things going back from the 80s all the way through up till today about stock market crashes and economic trends and outsourcing trends. And I mean, this is a guy that major corporations bring in and say, all right, Gerald, what do we do? How do we position our company for the future? And, uh, you know, everybody listens to this guy from major news networks to major corporations. And uh, he had some pretty bleak predictions for the coming years in that video. Well, there's a new video that's out now that somebody posted on our forum at the survivalpodcast.com slash forum. And uh, he had a, a lot of really kind of downer predictions, worse than I've ever seen from him. And uh, if it was anybody else, you might be going, nah, I don't know. With this guy, with his track record, you have to really uh, take a look. And, and here were the two big things that he was predicting. And then I'll tell you why I think he might be right. One is a massive commercial real estate crash that all of these companies that are declaring bankruptcy and closing stores and creating these cascading effects of closing retail space. Um, and then, of course, when the retail space closes up, a lot of manufacturing, shipping and all, that space starts to close up. But the commercial real estate crash of 2009 is going to make the residential crash of 2008 look like a joke. And that this uh, spendless bill is not really going to do a lot. You can tell this guy does not like Barack Obama. Uh, what makes me have faith in him, though, is he didn't like Bush either. Um, that that speaks volumes to me. If this guy was saying, well, if we still had Bush, uh, we'd be in great shape, I would really doubt his word. But basically he said, you know, Bush did all this, and here's how he screwed up, and here's now how Obama screwed it up worse, and this is what we can tell by the people that he's put in office around him, and he doesn't have any confidence that this is going to starve off this commercial real estate crash. Uh, He goes on to say that the second major... uh, backlash of 2009 will be a tax revolt, where people are going to snap out and just say, no more. We're not paying anymore. And some of them are going to say, we're not paying what we've already been paying. We don't have it anymore. We're out of money. Basically, the boss is us, the people. We are the ones that pay the bills around here. And that the government's our employees, and people are starting to snap to that. And that right now, what the government's doing, mostly local and state governments are doing this now. The Fed is not raising federal income tax, but there's all these other taxes, peripheral taxes, where the, the, you know, the governor is basically walking into your living room and saying, okay, the economy sucks, we need more money, you have to give me a raise. And that if you walked into your boss and did that, your boss would be like, you're fired, get out of here. And that that's where people are being pushed to. Now let me tell you, from personal, first-hand experience, looking around, why I think that Mr. Salenti, uh, unfortunately for our country, may be dead on with what's going on out there right now. Let's start with commercial real estate. Uh, 
right before I started broadcasting, I drove right down Cooper Street like I do most days and got on I-20 in Arlington, Texas. As I did that, I drove past a place where they are putting in a massive new piece of retail space that we're not happy about uh, in the one area that wasn't really developed around us right now. And they're going to be putting in uh, thousands of square feet of new retail space there. And this construction project, these guys are going like gangbusters. Now you're saying that doesn't sound like a, a commercial real estate crash. Hold on. As soon as I got past where the construction was, I get to a parking lot. In that parking lot was a giant Sergeant's Westernware store. And I know that if you live in Massachusetts, you might not see the point of a Westernware store. But in Texas, they're quite popular. And that store's been there for as long as I've been in Texas. And I came to Texas in 1993. And I don't know how long it's been there, but I get the feeling that it's been there a very, very long time. It is now out of business and empty. Right next to it is a Burlington uh, Coat Factory, which is a discount clothing retailer. It's also a very huge piece of real, uh, uh, retail space. It looks to me like it's about to completely go under. It looks like it's just no one's going there. There's no way this place can stay in business. It's got to go next. So we have two giant pieces of real uh, uh, retail space being vacated right next to a construction project uh, that's putting in huge amounts of retail space. And my question for the developer that's putting that space in is, who the hell are you going to put in there as a tenant? When we have people going broke that have been in business for 20 years right next door during an economic downturn. Now, it gets worse. Down Cooper Street the other direction, there's about five, just within about four miles, there are about five new retail strips. And I said five different developments, brand new space built in the last year. Each individual one is between 20 to 40% occupied, and they're building more. One block over on Matlock, there's about three of these brand new retail spaces, another one being built, and the three that have already been finished are also between 20 and 40% occupied, which means that they're about 50 to 60%, 70% not occupied. Right at the corner of Matlock, there's just one big block of, of rural America, or not rural, of urban America, folks. Right at I-20 and Matlock, one, you know, one block down I-20 from where I get on the highway, there's a new retail establishment called the Highlands. And this thing is acres and acres of new retail space. And they built this to be very beautiful with creeks going through the middle of it and all. And it looks like um, kind of like small, even though they're big spaces, they look like small shops. It's one of these things that they're doing in a lot of parts of America today where they're building these shopping centers that look more like little small town America. So you walk from store to store instead of being inside a mall. And that space seems to be doing very, very well. Again, where's the crash? Well, right between Matlock and Cooper is the Parks Mall, one of the premier shopping malls in Dallas-Fort Worth. It's like the Galleria, Grapevine Mills, and then this place. It's like the third biggest one in a, a metroplex of six million people. People come from all around, or used to come from all around to shop in this mall. The real estate company that owns the mall is in bankruptcy. The mall is in disarray. I've talked to people that run stores there. Many of them are either closing down or as this Highlands place expands, they're looking for space there and they're moving. And what they're saying is the only people that come here anymore are teenagers that hang out and don't spend any money. 
and we're starting to see more of the uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the gang like element of the teenagers coming into the mall. It's not just kids hanging around causing trouble anymore. We're starting to see gang signs flashed and stuff like this. I live in a nice neighborhood, folks. I really do. This mall is only a mile away. My son works for a restaurant that's in the parking lot of this mall. And we're seeing this this downgrade. And then, you know, one block over is this new gorgeous yuppie retail center. We're starting to see these things with pockets co-mixed all around them. So when Gerald Salenti says we're going to have all this real estate space empty, this retail space empty, and then nobody's going to be paying the bills for it, I'm looking around right now and I'm going, there's new and old space being vacated like crazy everywhere around me. And yet, since there is no residential business, the contractors are doing services for next to nothing on profit margin, and they're still building like crazy. And when I look at that, I go, how can this guy be wrong? Because what I just described to you, that's not Dallas. That's not, you know, 10 square miles. That's about a four-mile by four-mile by four-mile by four-mile square. In fact, I'd say it's a four-mile by one-mile by four-mile by one-mile square. Because it's right at one mile between Cooper and Matlock. So we're looking at, you know, four square miles. And everything that I just told you is going on in four square miles in a relatively prosperous place in Texas. In a place where most of the people that live around me received a check between three to $6,000 this year for bonuses for drilling for natural gas, based on how big their lot was. And we'll soon be receiving real stimulus checks from the gas company for extraction, averaging between 120 to 200 $140 a month, and we have these retail spaces in this decline in that area. But you tell me what's going to happen to places that are already down in the dregs, like Newark, New Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, Southside Philadelphia, Southside Chicago. Tell me what's going to happen in places that aren't really that bad but are on the way down, like my area, like Atlanta, Georgia, like Jacksonville, Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. The bad side and the good side of Los Angeles. The bad side and the good side of San Francisco. The bad side and the good side of San uh, San Diego. Well, what's going to happen there? What's going to happen to small town America all over as these stores continue to go under and vacate these spaces? And as, as, this, as one area vacates, what happens to those around them? And as the few successful businesses start to look around and go, you know what? Right now, if my lease is getting close to being up, I can get this brand new shiny retail space without all the problems because my neighbors have vacated and this is an older structure, and I can get it for pennies on the dollar, so I'm going to move. And that's why the new construction's going on, because they know that if I build the new construction up to maybe 40% the capacity of the old, that the survivors will move into the new. And that's why the guys that are doing these projects, as long as they keep it under control, my fear is they're not going to, they're kind of smart. But what's going to happen to all the money that's being mortgaged and not paid anymore? Because when... Um, a store, like let's say uh, Yankee Candle Company, they're one of the stores that are going to move out of the mall as soon as their lease is up and into the Highlands. Now when they move, they're not mortgaging their space. They don't sell it to somebody else. The, the bankrupt company that owns the mall 
is the one paying the mortgage on the property. They now have lost the source of income. So that's the problem in these retail space. It's all landlord-tenant relationships. Very few people actually own their retail space. So it's leaving somebody holding the bag that no longer has enough capital inflow to pay the bill. How long is it going to be before we have a stimulus bailout package in front of the American people to bail out corporate landowners? And how big of a class warfare misdirection will be waged when that happens? And what's going to happen to all the people that work for those companies that manage that property and all the people that work in those stores and all the people that used to shop in those stores and now have to go somewhere else? That spells disaster for me, and it's why I think Mr. Salenti may be dead on, and it's one of the reasons to keep being serious about your preparations, your food storage, your debt reduction, your money that you save, that you protect, you don't risk everything, working two jobs maybe if you have to right now for extra cash flow and putting money away, having money, having real assets, and not being risky with things right now. We're not done yet. This isn't the bottom of the recession. Okay, I don't know how deep it will go, but I really believe we're not at the bottom, and I think that's what Mr. Salente is telling us. Now, if you think that the theory of a major commercial real estate crash has any legs, uh, and I do, then Mr. Salente's next thing about a tax revolt almost has to happen. And I think it's a safe prediction for him to make because you have to understand that when you look at funding schools and funding local government, that most of their money comes from two things. Local sales tax revenue. So your state sales tax might be 8%, but maybe you pay 8.5% in your town, and that half percent goes to local. Um, and property taxes. And both of those are highly contingent upon retail space. Because the retail space owner is paying much bigger property taxes than you are on your home, trust me. And I know some people are living in 3,000 square foot homes on a half an acre, and they're paying $12,000 a year in property taxes in certain parts of New Jersey. What do you think a guy that owns a strip mall is paying on his property taxes a year? If the homeowner's paying $12,000, $1,000 a month of property taxes. Now, if that's you, get the hell out of New Jersey. All right. If you're in New Jersey and you're being charged a thousand dollars a month for property tax on your home, if you can replace half of your income, you can come to Texas and buy a house, and you can pay a thousand dollars a month, including your taxes, for the same same type of house. So get out of New Jersey if that's you. But I just want to make that point that there's these city governments everywhere that are dependent on this retail space for tax revenue. And when tax revenue goes away, governments don't go, gee, you know, what we have to do is look around and figure out how much of the people's money we're wasting and let's see what we can do to be more efficient and how we can stop wasting it. And let's cut the programs that we really don't need that are just our little pet projects and let's stick to essential services only and try to be a smaller, leaner, more agile government. Now, in a world of common freaking sense, that's what they would do but you know they won't do it. And you know whether you live in a city run by Republicans, a city run by Democrats, or a divided city run by both. That they're both going to do the same thing. 
they're going to turn to the people and say, uh, we are out of money, folks. Um, the times are tough, and, um, you know, we're going to have to raise, you know, if we want to keep the schools open and, and keep the buses running and keep the trains running and keep the streets clean and keep police officers on the streets, we're going to have to raise taxes because if we don't, we're going to have to cut essential services. They always say we're going to have to cut essential services and plead their case. It's just that this time the people are going to look at them and go, what do you want? How much more blood? How deep do you want me to cut my wrist for you? No. And when people decide, no, we're not doing it. We're not paying the taxes. It's a double-edged sword. One, they have the ability to get it done. They can intimidate, especially at the local and the state levels, the county levels. The people can intimidate the government. We still have that power. And we can prevent them from doing it. And we can also get it to a point where some way we figure out legal ways to revolt and not pay. In other words, you want your tax money, we'll pay it. It's going into a fund and you can't get your hands on it until you live up to your obligations. You said that this money was supposed to fix these things. Well, you go out, put a plan in place, get them at least halfway fixed, and we'll have the funds released. And there are movements around America to do that right now, including with federal taxes. So the person's not accused of not paying to basically put the money in escrow away from the government. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how feasible that is, but I know there's people looking into it. And that might be one way you might see a tax revolt. The other way you might see a tax revolt is where people just get pissed off and go to their state capital or their local county courthouse, as my dad used to call it, the clown house, and start pulling clowns into the street and saying, no more. You know what? We'll fix your overhead. We'll tear down your building. You're not going to have it. The people may be pushed to that point and crack. And then what does that do? The, the other side of that is when we don't pay for these local services, what happens when we actually have a city that goes, well, I have no choice now. I've even cut the pork, but these people are pissed, and they're not going to accept any more taxes, and we're out of money, and we've mismanaged the city, and we already pissed away the money we got from the, the, the stimulus bill, and we're done now, and the only thing I can do is cut the size of the police force in half. And what happens to crime rates when people are hungry, people are out of work, and half the police are off the streets. So this spells bad news. And it's what Mr. Salenti was talking about when he says 2009 is going to look different than any other year you've ever seen. Now, I want to temper that a little bit for you. I believe there's a big difference in looking at things that could happen and how far it could go and saying it will happen, that's how far it will go. I think we're going to get some of both of these this year. If you just look at the discussions we've got going on the forum right now about how can we tell these clowns we're still in charge, how can we individually secede from the systems, how can we get the attention of our elected officials and let them know that they are really close to pitchforks and torches. Should we be mailing them to people are pissed. I think a lot of my audience is in, in league with me and saying, Arlen Specter turned his back on the American people and he's going to be put out of office in about 18 months when his primary comes up. And it's one thing for me to say that with my three or 4,000 people a day that listen to me, but Glenn Beck's saying that with his millions. right? Rush Limbaugh, he's on board with, let's get rid of this clown. Uh, my local host here that I listen to in the afternoon coming home, J.D. Wells, is on board with that. He's got about, you know, t- you know, a couple hundred thousand people a day listening to him. 
So, I, I, you know, and, and basically you're saying, you know what, if we all target this jackass, he can go. And then we can get rid of Snow and, and uh, uh, what's their other name, Collins next. Then there's three elections in a row where we have three targets, one in each election. They're beautiful prime targets to say, you know what, we've had enough of you people. And to make a point. But that takes us six years. And I don't think we have six years to wait. And I think it's only a small drop in the bucket. And they'll just corrupt whoever we put in there anyways. Some way, we've got to get their attention. And cutting off the tax flow, got to get their attention. It might put a lot of people in jail too. But I think when you look at, well, who will be revolting? It's probably the guy that's lost his job, barely can pay his mortgage, and is saying, you're not getting your property taxes. I'm going to lose my house anyway. You'll put me in jail? Good, you'll have to feed me. And and it only takes, you know, 10 or 20,000 people like that to to start tearing down a Capitol building, cause riots, the National Guard police come in and start cracking skulls, and then the average man goes, hey, 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 wait a minute, that guy had a point. And next thing you know, you might have L.A. riots like we had back in 92 all over the United States of America. But this time, instead of people being pissed off over one judgment and blaming race and making it a racial issue, you might have a united front, a black man, a white man, the Mexican, you know, the Oriental, everybody, the blue-collar worker of every color and creed that works for a living standing arm-in-arm going nuts and saying, we've had enough with the government as a target instead of retail space as a target, since it would be empty anyway. These are the things that, that's how far it could go. But, again, I think you need to temper it with reality, because if we all start screaming, this is going to happen, and then in 2009, we have a minor commercial real estate crash. The stimulus has the short-term effect that most economists think it will. Uh, most economists say the stimulus is bad, but short-term it will help kind of holds it together, basically puts a band-aid on the sinking boat to keep it afloat a little longer, and we have minor tax revolting with certain people doing it, and it doesn't really crash the system, and it puts everything right to the edge at the end of 2009, where 2010 could be the year where it all goes nuts. We've lost credibility with people who said, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. So... You know, temper it when you discuss it with other people. With, look, these are just the warning signs, and these are things that could happen. Here's why they could happen, and here's what you can do about it. But don't start running around like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling. Our message is really right now that the sky might fall. And here's some different ways that it could fall. And here's what that will mean to you. And here's the things that you can do to prepare for it. And here's why even if the sky doesn't fall, you'll still be better off. That's a much better message when you want to you know, encourage people to live a better life. Now, let me tell you the one thing I didn't hear in Mr. Salenti's video, and I, I haven't heard him comment on this, and uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if he has commented, and I'll, I'll look around later today and see if he has. Um, there was an article that came out uh, about last month and sometime, and it said that Mexico was on its way to a failed state, uh, that the entire country could break down into basically a, a true third world nation. Not the way we think about Mexico as being a third world nation. Mexico is actually a pretty advanced city and it's, it's, it's actually a pretty stable place and they've got a lot more crime and a lot more problems but you know I would liken the Mexico City today as being like New York was before Giuliani got in there and cleaned the place up. It really isn't much worse than that but that was pretty damn bad. 
So, when we think of Mexico really turning into a failed state, we're talking about tens of millions of people at one time leaving the country as refugees and crossing into Arizona, California, and Texas. And will that happen? Again, I don't know. And will that happen in 2009? Again, I don't know. But this is what I do know. I know that... And I don't know the law enforcement organizations in Mexico, but it basically would be the same as the head of our FBI, uh, down in the Mexican equivalent to our FBI, was assassinated in Mexico City by the drug lords because they were they felt they were being too uh, taken down on the border, and they had to send a message that we can get anybody. We know that has happened. We know that a report has come out saying that this is a possibility, and then everybody poo-pooed it. But the report was written, it came from government, and it's a place that we really keep an eye on. Our government doesn't do a lot of things right, but they do really tend to keep an eye on Mexico pretty well just to know what's coming. I also know that governments, specifically state governments, are generally slow to respond to perceived threats. It's part of why we had such a problem with Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. It wasn't Bush's fault, folks. It was the mayor of New Orleans and the governor of Louisiana that are really responsible for what went on there. Way more than the president. And if you want to know the reality of that, look at the difference and what happened in Alabama and uh, Mississippi, where their governors did take action. And, of course, they didn't have the levees break in those two states, but, but they also had a much more organized evacuation because the state officials took control. But my point is that that was with a, you know, here it comes, here, here it is, it's going to hit you right here. And that was a slow response. So generally when it's a, a possible thing that you have to prepare for, state governments generally look at it and go, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that in the next budget cycle because it looks like it's far off. But the state of Texas has put together a plan and they're coordinating and they're active in developing a plan for a Mexican breakdown. And they are talking to everybody uh, from the United States government uh, with the federal uh, military, the United States Army. Uh, the National Guard is being involved, uh, the air, the army, uh, etc. Uh, all the National Guard units in the state are being coordinated with this. Uh, the state police, the sheriff departments, uh, the Texas Rangers, all the way down to local law enforcement. And they are, you know, bringing basically armored personnel vehicles into some of these smaller community uh, law enforcement places where they never felt that they had a need for something like this before. Now, there's two things at work here, you know, that could be at work here, and and neither one's good. Either they're doing this because the threat's credible, which is bad, or they're using it as an excuse so they have a better ability to impose martial law for other reasons, which is also bad. But really, when you look at it and you see investments, while city budgets and county budgets and state budgets are short, and you see investment being made in new weaponry and new armament for small towns in Texas, suburbs in Texas, you have to say there's a reason for this. The state usually doesn't act unless they believe that what they're doing is really going to be needed, that they're very slow to respond. So it's either a nefarious black helicopter, foil hat, they're getting ready to round us up, or something milder in that direction, right, from one extreme back to it's just an excuse to have more ability to impose their will on the people and suppress riots. 
to they really believe this Mexican threat is possible. Let's just talk about what this would mean and what would happen. I think it would be the biggest domestic disaster we would ever see. I think it might be worse than if somebody knocked our lights out. Uh, like the novel that I'm reading with uh, if, uh, as a narrator. Hold on. Somebody... I just paused there. Say, I'm sitting next to a giant uh, rock hauler that doesn't have a muffler on it, and I didn't want to be drowned out. One of the hazards of mobile podcasting, I guess. But you know, if we had an, an EMP pulse knock out our lights, I, th- I think that we might be better off than having a uh, hundred million refugees invade the United States over a 60-day period from Mexico, and that could happen. There's there's a lot of people in Mexico, and if you look at it, if they end up in you know a refugee type environment, they only have one place to go. They ain't going to the south, folks. That border is very short, very small, uh, very locked up, and very policed and very patrolled. And the southern border of Mexico is difficult to get across. The, and the northern border of the United States is huge. And if we have uh, you know hundreds of thousands of people marching in mass, the United States is known as the great humanitarian nation that would take them all in. But there's a point at which you go, I can't do this. We can't do this anymore. We are out of room. We're out of space and we're out of resources and we have our own problems. And we could see that type of an exodus if we have a true breakdown of the Mexican state. And I hate to tell you folks, when I look at it, it certainly looks possible. The there is a criminal element in Mexico that would love for this to happen. It's, the, it's basically their goal. To create a place where they could just do as they please because they don't see Mexico as their source of income. They see the United States as their source of income and our drug habit up here. So if they can completely dissolve Mexico into failure, then they can run rampant and do whatever that they you know want to. And uh, So that is a real risk. and It's something we need to think about. And It makes me think about somebody that asked me earlier this year about buying land out in West Texas. And you can buy land down, you know, south of like Fort Stockton and all that for next to nothing. And if you can figure out what to do about water, <clears throat> I mean, you can really have a decent living out there and you're in the middle of nowhere and it's kind of a cool place to live in the desert if you like the desert and all. And you wouldn't think that anybody would bother you, but I, I have to tell you that thinking about the p- potential for economic destruction in the United States would cause it in Mexico. Or just, if it happens in Mexico, then they're coming to the United States as well. And I think that your uh, your bug out location in a place like that would just become a place for uh, a roving gang of immigrant uh, refugees to stock up on their way into the more populated parts of the United States. And I absolutely could not recommend that border area out there to anybody for bugging out. So that's kind of my thoughts there. Uh, I guess that kind of wraps today's show up. And I know that we didn't talk a lot about what you can do um, today. And that's too bad, uh, I guess, in a, in a way. But once in a while, we have to stop and look at the threats. And the reality is what you do is what we always say to do. You reduce your debt. You, you think about where you would go if you have to leave. You have a 72-hour kit prepared at a minimum. You have several months to a year's worth of food stored up. You have cash on hand. You do the things that we talk about all the time. You grow some of your own food. You form relationships with other people in your local community uh, that you can rely on, depend on from everything from trade and barter uh, to defensive situations if they're necessary. That's what you do. You do what you've always done. You just understand
understand once again why it is that we do these things and the different threats that are out there uh, that, that could lead us to uh, to needing to rely on these these preparations at some point. That they're real, that they're really out there, and that things can and actually might go wrong for us, but we can still keep on living that better life if we plan for them, if we have a plan and we know what we're going to do. I want to make a brief announcement. Uh, a gentleman sent me a pen, and then they just sent me two more. Uh, Mystic Wood Turning is the name of his little company. And these are beautiful pens made out of uh, 308 shell casings and hand-turned mesquite wood. And they're just gorgeous. And he sent me one as a gift and two for the listener appreciation contest. So I'll be giving those away next week. Uh, I'll try to post a picture of them over the weekend. And I don't know. The guy sent me a business card. He didn't have a website. I don't know if he has a website. I'll get in touch with him and see if he has anything online where you can take a look at it and uh, maybe give them some business. I know it's like a part-time venture for them, but uh, these are absolutely gorgeous pens. Uh, my partner, Neil, has been trying to steal mine since uh, he's seen it. So, um, you know, have a, have a look at that if I'm able to find a website for you and know that that's coming next week. Please get involved in our forum. Uh, the more people we have on the forum, the better a community it becomes. Uh, consider coming out and seeing me out in Birmingham, Alabama uh, at the uh, Region 3 get-together. You guys in Region 5 are working on put one together as well. Uh, I'll be there definitely to that one too. So if you're in either region or near either region or willing to travel further, uh, please come out and meet some of uh, the, the fellow listeners and I think we'll have a lot of fun with that. And uh, just keep on doing the things that you know are right. Trusting your instincts, trusting your gut. Never overreact. Never panic. Never freak out. I get emails from people once in a while, Jack, I'm starting to freak out on all this. Don't freak out. It's level-headedness, calm professionalism to get people through tough times, be it wilderness survival, urban survival, or just a job loss. It's always the same thing. Calm, logical professionalism. That's what we're all about here at the Survival Podcast. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent. 